Welcome, everybody, to the Katie and Me podcast. This is episode 17. As always, I am Chris Hutchinson, joined by my podcasting partner, Katie Rogers. Katie, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris. I'm good. Good. You, uh, you're surviving. Good to see you. We, uh, we're on Zoom again, so we're still not in the studio, but I am able to see Katie. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm good. I, it's nice to see you and Pete on the Zoom, but I really miss the studio, guys. Yeah, I, I miss it too. Pete's done an awesome job getting these uploaded and edited with a pretty inconsistent sound quality, but um, on, on our part, because we're Sorry. doing these from our house or you're half in the closet right now. I'm in my quote unquote office, which is pretty open space, but uh, we're surviving. We're surviving. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about marriage. I just celebrated my 17th wedding anniversary, so I'm going to give some highlights and lowlights to marriage. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's interesting, for sure. Uh, before we delve into that, though, we definitely want to recognize our show partner, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. And if you are interested in getting a free trial book from Audible, you can go to audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y, and they will allow you to download one free Audible book. We're both big users of Audible, so definitely appreciate their show support. So I'm going to talk a little bit about marriage today. Uh, it's my 17th wedding anniversary. And the the greatest thing about being married to my wife, Leela, is that she can never remember if it is September 12th or September 13th. So I often get wished happy anniversary over multiple days from her, which which is awesome. She also can't ever really remember what year it was. It's left up to me to to manage those details. So that that is a positive. My wife, as awesome as she is, uh, remembering. Uh, important dates is not one of them. So there's a lot of pressure for me to remember because I know that that she's probably not going to remember the exact day. But uh, we we actually went to our favorite restaurant. We went to Peterson's for our anniversary. They recognized social distancing. And so we had a nice corner booth to ourselves with no one around us and uh, had, a, had a lovely time and a lot of laughter and a lot of reminiscing. But I'm going to highlight some things that makes, I guess, our marriage successful, but some real talk as well. For those of our audience members that have been married or are married, you know that it's incredibly hard. There's just no no way around it. You're, you know, two individuals and you have your own way of doing things and to be able to, to stay together and in our case, uh, raise a daughter. There's a lot of sacrifices that have to be made and it's a lot of work. And I'm always... I'm always leery of people that that say that, oh, marriage is easy and we just have the, the best marriage and we never fight. And I just, I tend to call bull, bull, <laughs> bull S on that. I'm trying to keep it PG-13. So yeah, I, de- I tend to call bull on that because a couple things, either you're not being authentic <laughs> with yourselves or you're probably some of the most boring people on the planet because 
in, inevitably, you know, everybody has their own personality and they have their own way of doing things. And it's just impossible for it to all jive perfectly 100% of the time. So a nice segue into, into that is we've had the same therapist for 13 years. <laughs> and uh, oh, it's, awesome. she, she's a big part of our lives. I mean, we, we talk about her um, often and we know uh, there are times when we know <laughs> when our next therapist appointment is. And it may come up as, oh, I can't wait to bring this up next Wednesday <laughs> when, when we're not getting along. But she actually, our therapist actually relocated and lives in Florida. And God, did we not want to have to break in a new therapist? And so we found out a way to uh, continue to see her uh, virtually through a you know HIPAA approved um, online website. So yeah, she's she's seen the highs and the lows for sure. But yeah, she's definitely a big part of what makes our marriage successful. And she was good at helping us both understand personal accountability. I like to joke we have a we have a great marriage, my wife and I. But it's it's far it's been far from perfect. So early in our marriage, I was uh, I, I made alcohol a priority over my family. I was drinking a lot. I was drinking um, almost every night after work, and that kind of became my routine. And I like to say it's you know it's how I was dealing with the stress of my job and my career. And uh, you know we were new parents, and there was a not a lot of sleeping. And you know I like to use all of those kind of convenient excuses, but um, having having a therapist and working on accountability measures was important, and it probably saved saved our marriage because I was definitely not putting my family first. I was putting myself first. And so, you know, having the ability to now be in a place where I'm better at holding myself accountable. My wife was always good at holding me accountable, but but in a way that was mostly healthy. We now can can do that for each other. And so, but it took a lot of work to get to that point. Like anybody that battles with anything, you know, I had a million excuses for everything. And ultimately it just boiled down to, man, I'm just kind of being a selfish asshole. And um, I have to make some real significant determinations about what's important and what's not. And so, you know, that was, a, that was a hard, and I'd love to say, oh, that was a hard month. No, it was like a hard couple of years, years. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. it took, um, you know, I went to AA for a while. I, I stopped drinking completely for a while for like six or seven months, which probably hadn't gone that long without drinking since I, well, was at least of age and maybe even earlier. So, you know, that was like a big, a big change. And mm -hmm. the, one of the many benefits is that, my wife and even young daughter saw that I, I kind of recommitted to the family and I, and I put others, you know, ahead of myself. And so mm -hmm. that was, that was, um, that was cool. That's something that now when we have struggles, we know that, okay, we we've gone through tough things before we can overcome and we can overcome them through having honest conversations with each other we've kind of developed our best practices for communication between my wife and I. And honestly, sometimes that communication is that we don't sit down and talk about it face to face. We are in separate rooms in the house and we literally text each other how we're thinking or how yeah, we're feeling. Yeah, you've said that. You've said that before that sometimes the best thing isn't to be like directly confrontational. Yeah, for, for us. And, you know, yeah. like I get, but again, it takes it takes time to figure out what that is and a lot of trial and error. And if you've met my wife, 
she's on the shorter side. She's about five feet tall, a little bit, maybe plus or minus. Uh, and I'm, and I'm close to six feet, <laughs> but somehow in the past, when we had those knockdown screaming arguments that sometimes married couples have, I don't know if she levitated, but she was always eye to eye with me somehow anytime <laughs> we were arguing and there's just no back down in her. So she is, she's Russian Jewish and I'm Irish Catholic. And so tend to both have like strong personalities. And what we've realized is that over the years, we can, we can have conversations, but when we're both really fiercely upset or angry about something, mm-hmm. um, our strategy is to text how we're feeling and let anger and frustration kind of dissipate as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to out yell or, you know, out, out talk each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Text you know. leaves a record. It leaves a record. <laughs> like you have to own that. Oh, I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, but yeah, no, that, that's a good point too. You have to uh, see your words in front of you, and then right. you have to know that they can keep seeing them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah. a good point. I hadn't even thought of it that way, but um, that that's true. And I sometimes like I laugh and realize that you know if we were married in the 1800s, uh, our fights would last probably months because we'd have to write them out in long letter form and then uh, send them to each other <laughs> as, as opposed to having access to, to technology where we can do it in the moment. But um, no, but literally that's that's been kind of a a regular practice for us, and it's carried over now. Because my daughter is in eighth grade and there are times when she, as like every eighth grader, just hates her parents for whatever we did that day. And, <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, disciplining her in the moment leads to increased anger and everybody and frustration in the house. And so I've taken to to try and calm things down, communicate to her via text and kind of say, hey, listen, I know you don't want to be bothered right now but here's what I need you to know. And here's what I need you thinking about. And then let's Andrew talk Graham. about, yes. And then let's talk about it in an hour or whatever. Wait, what did you say? I said, and you're grounded. Oh, well, yeah, she, she's probably already figured that out, that piece out. But so no, it's funny. And I didn't mean to turn this into a, my Ted talk on texting when you're angry, but um, it literally, it really works for us. And, you know, we joke about it and our friends kind of laugh about it, but, but for us, it works to circle back. I think the, the main piece there is that without that accountability and without putting in the work, we wouldn't have gotten to the point of figuring out, well, what, what communication channels are best for us. We would still be yelling or trying to, to out yell each other to be heard as opposed to, you know, listening to each other. So for us, it really mitigates a lot of the emotion and kind of brings things to a calm boil instead of a rolling boil uh, and allows us to, to kind of work through those things. So, and I know I'm coming up on my time, but the, the last piece that I kind of wanted to talk about is that you just have to know that you're not going to agree on everything in marriage and, and to assume so is really short-sighted. And that's, that's hopefully what makes a marriage interesting, right? You don't want to have two people that are completely the same. Otherwise, it's it's going to be a pretty pretty boring existence. And so you need to know that you're not always going to be right. And that's okay. And if there's like an ego check there as well. You have to understand that, you know, sometimes it's okay to be wrong. And even bigger, 
you have to admit when you're wrong. And for me and for my wife, that, that took some practice. We're, we're much better at it now. But there were times, particularly when I was being really self-centered, where we might not even acknowledge each other's existence for days because neither one of us wanted to like come forward and admit that we made a mistake or be the oh, one yeah. to apologize if we didn't think that we were wrong. So, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't uncommon for us sometimes to maybe not even speak or look at each other for three or four days, which isn't particularly healthy. So again, we're not, we're not in that spot now. Now we, uh, we're much more quick to, to clear up issues or admit when we make mistakes. Now, on the flip side of that, we make each other laugh pretty much on an hourly basis. And for us, um, that, is, that is a major cure-all. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because you know, without, without laughter or without having fun, What's the point? I mean, we all, we're all, 2020 is a pretty good example of how hard adulting and just life in general can be. <laughs> um, and so if you can't find, you know, some things to laugh about to kind of get you through the next day or the next week, uh, it can be a, it can be a really challenging grind. So, you know, and our anniversary dinner was chuck full of the two of us not giving a rat's ass who heard just boisterously laughing our asses off in this restaurant. I mean, not like out of control, but not like no hesitation to laugh and laugh loud. They know us there. And so it wasn't like we were causing a scene, but, and we were just like reliving all these crazy things. And my wife often talks about how she really wants to start a reality show called Welcome to the Shit Show. And it would be <laughs> essentially mostly just following her around and all of the shenanigans that she gets in. But just the amount of like constant humor that we have, it would be good show fodder for sure. I know I'm coming up on my time. So I'll finish my segment by saying that marriage is incredibly, incredibly challenging. But if you can have personal accountability, find effective communication channels, and if you can find ways to make each other laugh, you're going to be successful. So uh, 17 years going strong, don't see any reason to quit how we're doing things, but it does take a lot of work and it is really challenging. So with that, I will take a break, Katie, and uh, turn things over to you. Oh my gosh. I think you made so many good points though. We're talking <laughs> about, you know, you what you were describing at one point was resiliency. And that's like my pet thing is putting yeah. resiliency into a system and you have to put resiliency into your relationships. You it's, know? Yeah, it's so uh, it's really important. Well, and you know me, I love I love processes and stuff. So <laughs> you know, having we have we have processes. We know when we're going to see our therapist, and you know how many times a month we're going to see them, and when we're going to you know see one with as, as a family, and when we're going to see just ours between my wife and I. We know now when things get heated, we both pick up our phones, and usually more more calmly than in the past, walk away. And I can expect, I can expect, I see the three dots like from the text <laughs> and then she'll see the three dots for me. And I can tell like how it's going to go, like how long that dot pause is. Like mm-hmm. if it's going on five minutes, I'm like, Ooh, okay. Or she's, this- <laughs> hitting, she's erasing and rewriting, erasing and rewriting. Right. She's trying to, she's trying to get the wording right. Yeah. But, um, and then, you know, laughter happens organically. Thankfully we don't have to schedule that, but no, yeah. it, it is. It is definitely resiliency, and and it's um uh, it's something I'm really proud of because we well, we do work hard at it. 
Yeah, I do. Th- I think you should be. You guys are great. And I really, um, I like the idea of going to therapy and developing the necessary skills so that your marriage is, is a safe space, right? Like yeah. that's why you guys get along so well and you laugh so much, I think is because you figured out how to make that relationship safe where you guys can be vulnerable, where you don't have to be right. Your ego isn't the most important thing getting to the truth is and that kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah, those are really important lessons. Yeah. Well, thanks. And uh, what are you going to talk to us about today? Well, I wanted to talk about insomnia. <laughs> Total perfect segue from marriage to not being able to sleep. <laughs> right, right, right. Let's roll from one stressor to the results of stress. Um, no, I, I have been talking to people the last couple of years. It seems like, and I'm going to say maybe more than the last couple of years, it seems like so many people in my personal life that I have these relationships with have insomnia in some form or another. Absolutely. And I've gotten really curious about it. Yeah. So I started digging in just because, you know, I've, I, my mom had, has had, uh, it depends, uh, really bad insomnia for years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my closest friends have. So I always perk up whenever I hear it. I'm one as of them. Top- I, I don't sleep well and I haven't no. for a long time. I know. I've seen 3 a.m. texts from you. <laughs> yeah, where yeah. you're clearly wide awake. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so I thought I would dig in a little bit and try and learn something so that I wasn't just nodding my head all the time when people talked about it. And I had my own spell, actually. Um, during my divorce, I had my mm-hmm. own stressy spell where I was just up in the middle of the night, every mm-hmm. night. And so anyway, and roughly a third of people, statistics say uh, just upwards of 35% of people report insomnia at any given time mm. in our country. That's a lot. Yeah, it really is. It's like it really is. But people, if, you, right? if you get on social media in the middle of the night, you see it. You're like, wait a minute, these people are in comparable time zones and yeah. why are these people? Yeah. So like, you're like, I'm not alone. And you get yeah. up in the morning and there's people who have been up doing stuff all night. So yeah, there's a third of us and there's three types, which I think is kind of an intuitive thing. There's uh, trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep and people who wake way too early. And I've experienced all of those at some point. Yeah, I have as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All the same, same disorder. They give them slightly different names. Not relevant. But there are several different causes. And we have to look at causes in order to look at how to maybe tackle this. Anxiety, stress, fear, anything that gives you really intense, keeps your cortisol up kind of reactions, um, mm-hmm. high blood pressure, all of those things make you wake easier, make it harder for you to fall asleep. Pills that you take mm, can make yeah. sleep really hard. So we're all on a bunch of prescriptions or a yep. lot of us are. That has to be looked at. Uh, the other thing is like, even if it's not prescriptions, over-the-counter stuff. So a lot of people take B12, methylcobiamine, mm. um, because we're chronically deficient in our diets. And uh, if you take that midday or in the evening, it's going to keep you up. Yeah. There's certain, even vitamins and over-the-counter things that need to be taken in the morning and others that should be taken at night because of sleep patterns. Caffeine, obviously. So not everyone processes out caffeine at the same rate. You know, children don't process it out like at all. It sure stays, stays in, the in their forever. system. Yeah. 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 So it's really important that if you have a kid who's tr- having trouble sleeping, make sure there's no source of caffeine in their diet. So my daughter is is 13 and she is like every other eighth grader in junior high. She's in love with Starbucks and not like, not the kind of coffee that, that you and I and Pete would drink, but you know, they have, yeah, they have like all these refreshers and all these things that still have some caffeine in them. And 
she'll go with her friends more in the summer, not so much during school, but she would go with her friends in the afternoon. And I would be like, why at like midnight or 1am is she still wide awake? And then I'd be like, oh, she went to Starbucks today, you know? And so it's just like, oh, we're, we're screwed until like probably two or three in the morning. So yeah, anyway, yeah, no, yeah. my 12 year old too. She, that's what she gets for when she babysits, when she yep. use that in quote marks at her age, you know, but when, she, <laughs> right. when she accepts some responsibility and mom gets to go on the field or whatever, she get she wants to be paid Starbucks gift cards. And so, and I do it because she's generous and she'll get me one when we go through the drive. (laughs) But yeah, it's good return on my investment there with the sitter. But, um, but I am really strict about like, you have to get decaf. I know you're going to get the stupid milkshake that is like Mm -hmm. one step from diabetes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The very least you can do is cut the caffeine out because it is really easy to take it in and not realize that those fruit juice drinks and things. Oh yeah. They're bad. Yeah, they are. So, um, so that is that dietary stuff. We're going to talk about just a smidge and then irregular sleep patterns. So my kid's dad, for instance, sometimes because of what he does, they'll change his shift regularly. Like he'll cover somebody on a different shift for a week while they're on vacation. And that is just absolutely horrible for your sleep. Um, and then there's hormonal reasons. So a lot of times when people are approaching major life changes with their body cycles, like menopause or something, you'll start experiencing terrible Mm -hmm. um, temperature regulation issues and sleep problems. And temperature is another factor to look at. Some people, it's recommended that people sleep at very low temperatures. And some of us freeze all night and shiver and can't sleep at low temperatures because there's no amount of blankets that are going to fix that. (laughs) And so So are you one that uh, doesn't like it super cold? No, I like it 72 up to about 95. And then uh, (laughs) (laughs) I I can sleep on the beach. I can, if it's 90 degrees, I can sleep on the beach all day long. Uh, That's um, not me. I'm more of the the colder, the better. And then try and, you know, stay covered up. But uh, yeah. yeah. So I love the fall because I like sleeping with the windows open because it'll get down to like, you know, 40 or 50 degrees. It's awesome. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) in college, in college, my sister and I shared a bedroom in her bed. She had her head up against the window and she slept <laughs> with an electric blanket with the window open. And I woke up one night and she had snow across her forehead, <laughs> but the electric blanket pulled up to her nose. And I was like, what is it? I, like, I thought right. for sure. What's going on here? Yeah, I thought maybe she was dead or something. Well, I was just like, what? why is there snow on your face? And it's dangerous, not melted. Yeah, it was very <laughs> very awful. So anyway, (laughs) temperature is an issue. So what you want to do to tackle all of this, of course, is you're probably going to have to experiment. You're going to have to experiment with different temperatures and that can be really tricky with other people in the house. Mm -hmm. So I sleep with things a little colder than I like because I know my kids do better that way. And then I compensate. Routine is super critical and really, really hard. We are Mm -hmm. not disciplined this way at all. And so I have started setting an alarm at night so that everyone is putting on pajamas and brushing teeth at the right time because That's I'll get smart. caught up in something and get it'll get out of hand. So I set that alarm, which is great for getting my kids in bed, like right at eight. But then I find I'm still up three and a half hours later answering emails. And that's another thing. Of course, we all know we use devices and we're exposed to light and things that affect our sleep patterns. So I'm really bad. We're all going to do that. Yeah, we're all going to do it. Here's the thing. I have given up on this. Don't have devices in bed or by bed or late at night thing, because I just don't think it's practical, especially for Mm -hmm. those of us who have to catch up on paperwork at night. So turn on your blue light filter. Most devices Um, have a sleep mode or a blue light filter. Use it. Okay. Use it all the time because they suspect, based on some studies, and it, it's not settled science yet, but that exposure to all the blue light we're taking in right now, our eyes, I think it's our cones, 
struggle with this and we are damaging our eyesight long term. So just <laughs> leave your blue light filter on. You it'll look strange initially. You'll adjust in like less than a day. Promise you will adjust to having that filter on there. That's so, good news. I or that's good news. That's interesting. I hadn't I didn't know that. Um yeah, I, I will put I usually yeah it is <laughs> it is an action item. Um I didn't I will put it on at night when I'm in bed because when I don't, the light bugs Leela, mm-hmm. but I, but I never thought to like do it full time as like a benefit to my eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's, that's good to know. Yeah. There should be plenty of other things in your life that tell you it's time to be awake. Lightwise, you don't really need your computer to tell that's you it's true. time to be awake. That, that's a good point. Yeah. So, um, and then go through, go through dietary issues. We talked about caffeine, cigarettes. You drink a lot of coffee. I mean, you and I, I I drink it every day, but you drink it multiple times during the day, right? (laughs) Yes. But there's a, there's a, a caveat on my coffee consumption. If I do coffee after one or two in the afternoon, it's completely decaf. Okay. And I drink a really dark roast that's quite low in caffeine. So I do drink a lot of coffee, but there was a day a couple months ago at work where I drank this high caffeine coffee and it was like I was on cocaine or something. Yeah. Like I was off the walls. People are like, what's with you? And I'm like, I don't know. My whole body's vibrating. They gave me this coffee called like mega death. And like, I was so wired up from it. And so it's still sitting in my cabinet. And what I've been doing is I'll make it like a French press of decaf and I'll put just a little of this, you know, might kill you coffee, but, um, but yeah, you need to be careful with it. it. Even coffee drinkers, it really just doesn't take that much. You build up a tolerance to things like this. This is how receptors work. You build up a tolerance. So if you love coffee, and I do love coffee, um, maybe consider cutting yourself to a half-calf or a darker roast mm. or something that is going to um, not get you quite as wired. Yeah. You do feel like you've gotten used to it, but it can still keep you up. It's a weird thing. Uh, caffeine blocks that pathway that tells you you're tired. I was just going to say that being tired. Yeah. It's not, it's not really, it it really, it's, it's more of a blocking mechanism and it's not. So for so long, I thought that it was, I mean, I guess it's still considered a stimulant, but I thought it was, you know, you were feeling the effects of it kind of firing you up when really it's, it's like, it's falsely (laughs) lulling you into a sense that you you're more (laughs) awake than what, than what's really happening. So I, yeah, I just learned that recently at 47 and um, (laughs) thought that that was, that was pretty interesting actually, that it's not exactly, you know, this, this magic elixir that just turns you on like a light switch, but it's actually preventing you from feeling Knowing that you're tired. I thought that was was pretty cool. Yeah. I actually learned that my senior year of college. I had, I was one of the students that had to do like a big exit interview, 10 page paper. And that was the most Mm. interesting point I had made and learned all through college. (laughs) So Pete just told us what that's called. It's called the Edensine receptor antagonist. Adenosine receptor yeah. antagonist. Yeah. So Very the nice, one. Pete. That, Pete doing his job as a producer. I know. Pete's a <laughs> big coffee guy. This one anyway. person has to be the producer. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So take a look. Take a look at your caffeine. Take a look. Uh, cigarettes are an issue. Take a look at alcohol consumption because it makes your sleep really shallow. And so you come in and out of it and I'm that way. I'm like, if I have a drink, I'm like, woo, going to sleep. But then I'm right. probably going to be up later or I'm going to get woke up by a dream that I remember or whatever. So well, you um, just clearly you're not drinking enough then because <laughs> I, I have no choice, uh, but I, I, I just don't have the tolerance for a second drink. But anyway, so uh, 
look at your uh, over-the-counter consumption and your prescription consumption. Find out if a side effect of any of them is disruption of sleep patterns or, or insomnia. It is on a lot of them, along with a lot of other weird side effects that are listed. Mm-hmm. They're super fun to read. Um, and then diet. So I eat really late at night. Doesn't seem to affect my sleep at all. 10 o'clock at night, I can eat like a huge pile of pad thai or um, sog paneer and like eat most of my day's caloric intake, go to sleep, and I'm fine. For some so people, you're like eat- European then. You're eating at like European <laughs> dinner times. Oh, yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Eat, I mean, they eat pretty late. Yeah, like, I'm a mostly. super, yeah. And most of my life, I've been taking care of people who eat at like five in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had dinner at five, but that's actually like kind of my breakfast because that's when I start eating and then I eat in bed at night. Yeah. So I'm weird that way. But for some people, that's a problem. Sure. I think it puts me out. For some people, they need to not eat after like six o'clock at night because their digestive system isn't yeah. easy, especially if they're going to lay flat. Right. Yeah, so uh, stop napping. I know no, no one wants way. to hear this. never going to do that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even hardly capable of napping, but stop napping, especially later in the day. If you're going to nap, it needs to be in the morning. Get up at five o'clock in the morning, four o'clock, do your workout, do your stuff, nap from nine to 10, and then don't nap late in the day. Day naps really do mess with your ability, most people's ability to sleep. Although I interviewed a friend of mine for this and he has been in hospitality industry as a chef. He's, he's had all these weird sleep patterns. He has had trouble sleeping since he was a child. His parents were on opposite shifts when he was in utero. Like it's always hmm. been an issue for him. And he, he goes a long time with almost no sleep, very short sleeps. And then all of a sudden he'll like nap for five hours and sleep 14 that night. Cause he's got huh. time off. I can't do that. Yeah. And science tells us you can't actually catch up on sleep. Right. You can't make up for the damage you've done, but, uh, you know, if you're going days with hardly any sleep, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. Right. No, I'm, I'm the same <laughs> yeah. way. I always, yeah. I, I, I believe in science, but that's one I'm like, I don't know, man, if I'm like physically exhausted, I might sleep <laughs> yeah. for 12, 14 hours and feel, feel okay about it. Yeah, um, do you, ever, do you ever take melatonin or anything? Yeah. So I was going to get to that in this, in this area here. So I have taken it. I held off. It was suggested. I have one of my children is not um, a good sleeper, never, ever has been. And I held off when he was little, giving him melatonin, even though I had multiple pediatricians tell me it was perfectly safe. I just didn't, I was so nervous to give him anything. And of late, I have been, I've been taking it and letting him take it. Talk to a doctor about dosing because Mm -hmm. there's doses that between, um, I forget what the unit is, but between three units and 10 units generally start on the low end and see if Mm. you need a little more kind of thing. But man, it really works for him more than for me. I mean, I see very minor. Um, Another thing is magnesium in the evenings. Don't do too much. Turns into a laxative, but if you, Mm. magnesium is a muscle relaxer. If you have chest pain, they give you magnesium right away. It's a, it's a really good one to take with melatonin. Take a little magnesium and melatonin has worked for me, but I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to recommend anything. Gotcha. Uh, (laughs) Make sure that you're using a pillow and on a mattress that don't make you sore. This is critical. My body gets very sore because of my physical labor that I do all day. So where and how I sleep is really critical. And finally, and this, if you have insurance, do this. If you are, have chronic insomnia, go to a doctor and get a sleep study because yeah. sleep apnea is horrible for you. And it is so really scary common. Mm-hmm. It's so scary common, but don't deprive yourself of air. Obstructive Yeah, my dad has it so bad. So my dad has one of the apparatus and my mom yeah. was tested for it and just refuses to wear the apparatus. But, uh, <laughs> my dad wears one too now. And he said it's like the first time he didn't know he was sleeping so poorly for years. Yeah. My dad was like, I can't remember the, the high range, but he was 
I think it was something like he was having his breathing impacted negatively something like 51 times in an hour or something like, so, you know, like almost five, almost, you know, almost the entire hour he was having some negative impact on his breathing. So yeah, sleep is definitely, and there's, like you said, get to a doctor. There are opportunities to get yourself fixed and improve sleep because God knows we all, we all need it. Yeah. And um, finally, if you have trouble sleeping, there are Via app, via Audible, there mm-hmm. are people deliberately reading boring stories. Hmm. And it's <laughs> funny. Awesome. And for some people, it's enough to just turn that on and be bored to sleep. <laughs> uh, I, and I, for a while, I was listening to like ASMR stuff as well. Um, oh, my son loves that. Yeah, we have like, to do an episode on that. It's creepy. It is. So <laughs> I don't like the the people eating food or things like that. But um, there are some, yeah, I was really into like some of the, the scrunchy sounds and stuff or mm-hmm. like the, the scratching of the microphone. And oh um, But, but then, well, what happened is that I would get, pretty relaxed and then I would either fall asleep with my earbuds in and like wake up with it like crammed in my ear or I would try and take my earbuds out and then like all that movement I kind of lost you know where I got but but there are there are a lot of tools like you said out there that um definitely creative ways Mm -hmm. for people to to try and get better sleep yeah yeah and um you know, I know we're over time, so I've got to let you go, but the ASMR is something we should do an episode about. And I, I do have to say that my, my favorite interview for this, they are now using CBD products. Mm, and nice. if we were in Michigan, I would probably say um, some people use uh, like edible THC. pot products. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, um, but we're not in Michigan, so I'm not going to say it. Right. We're not um, in a legal state. So right. no one <laughs> so, I know does anything um, illegal. Yeah. And, and I, I don't do the CBD thing, but that was, that was brought up by my first and third person, both of them. That's what they use now. So, well, I'll tell you what, let's do a show on ASMR. And if anyone yes. is interested in sharing their ideas, you can email us at Chris at Katie or Katie at Katie And Chris is C H R I S and Katie is always K A T Y. Katie, thanks so much for sharing with us today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Pete.